G'day and welcome back to another episode of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, and I'm excited to be sitting down with another extraordinary person this week and bringing this chat to you. We're sitting down at the Sydney Startup Hub right in the middle of the CBD. It's on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. My next guest is Christina Hermanson. She's enjoying a little bit of a sabbatical at the moment before she starts her next job. So I thought, what better time to grab her, sit down and chat about her careers so far, and ask some of those burning questions like, how does a CEO get ready for their first day at a new job? Also in this conversation, we're covering Christina's background. She did grow up in the US. Her roles have taken her around the world. But in this conversation, we chat about how her leadership style has changed as Christina's transitioned between businesses and industries across her career. How she's able to bring those in her team on board and towards the vision that she's creating. The balance of showing up and putting on a brave face and being vulnerable. We talk about this particularly around the time where COVID broke out and how, with so much uncertainty, does a leader turn up, still give confidence to the team, but also go, heck, I have no idea what's going on. (laughs) Anyway, we chat about where she sees the role of agriculture heading into the future and how the industry can be more inclusive. I really enjoyed this chat. So as always, I'd love to hear any feedback you've got. Thanks for um, coming for a chat. Welcome to the Sydney Startup Hub. Pretend like they've sponsored it. (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you. It's a buzzing place here today. It is. I worked out everyone out here is meeting with government to get information on how they get grants and whatever else so oh, and i'm maybe, meeting with you yeah i'll go there this summer. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of christina you're on a little bit of a career break at the moment which must be the first time in a while it is pretty fantastic to have the chance to have a sabbatical and um i just had a european holiday right over the quarter end it was the first time in years that I didn't have to think about what was our um, what's our result and have many conversations and meetings in between so pretty fantastic to be able to really focus on where you are and, and with your people yeah and so how long have you been on this little holiday for now uh yeah beginning of September yeah okay. and uh, I won't start my new role until January the main reason is I really wanted a month back in the U.S. back on the family farm and with family, a few things to manage there, actually, with the farm and uh, to see my dad. Unreal. Tell me a little bit more about the family farm, because we're obviously in Australia. You're working and living in Australia now, but Mm. grew up in the U.S.? I did, yeah. I grew up in a little bitty town called Blanchardville, Wisconsin, population 824, (laughs) 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 right in, you know, right in the heart of America's dairy land. So um, grew up on a pretty small farm, 285 acres. We had kind of 40 to 50 head of cattle. And yeah, on one hand, it was a beautiful place to grow up. Um, Yeah, if you look at the farm, it's actually looks like more woodland and and, uh, little fishing ponds (laughs) than actual farmland. But I have to say, I guess I was pretty keen to to leave there too, because now I've been outside the U.S. almost longer than I than I was inside growing up there. But yeah, small, small community. Yeah, just a, a wonderful, wonderful place to to start life. And was agriculture always interesting to you? Yeah, I guess as a dairy farmer's daughter and anybody that grows up on any farm, but I I do think in particular dairy farming, it's tough. It's a really tough life. And while my dad certainly enjoyed the the time on the land, he wasn't a fan of milking the cows morning and night. And my, my mother, actually, she was born in Germany and came over kind of in her early 20s, a nice love story between my mom and dad. She was always, you know, a little bit homesick and um, probably wasn't her dream to be the the farmer's housewife, but she was a very dedicated um, mother and she was very, very supportive of me doing whatever I wanted and being able to be the best I could. So, yeah. And so where did that pathway take you through school? What were the the dreams? Well, it started out, I was... um, was a did a lot of dancing as a young kid, so it started out wanting to be a ballet dancer. I think a Radio City Rockette at some point. Then it 
all of a sudden converted to wanting to be an astronaut. Um, <laughs> but at some point I found out you either had to be kind of a, a serious PhD in growing plants in outer space or an Air Force pilot. And so I, I got it twisted on that and um, focused on becoming a mechanical engineer. So I was, I was really lucky because I had a great math teacher in high school. And he said to me one day, you know, engineering is a, is a great profession. There's almost no women in it. Why don't you go for it? And so I spent a weekend at the University of Wisconsin. And luckily at that time, they offered a scholarship for all the valedictorians of, of the classes to try and kind of keep people, I guess, talent close to home. And so, yeah, I spent my undergrad there at University of Wisconsin and, and went on and continued in mechanical engineering. Staying in the U.S.? Yeah, well, it didn't, I never actually worked um, in the U.S. outside of a couple of internships. So it was at the end of my graduate studies. I kind of made friends with the whole international um, community of grad students. Not quite sure how I broke in there. And I, I kept thinking, wow, this is so awesome what you're doing, you know, coming Coming over, learning something different, um, you know, taking taking time out from your normal life. And one day it dawned on me, well, I could actually do this too. <laughs> so I, um, I looked at a bunch of programs and I ended up at the Technical University of Munich. Ironically, I landed there just the day before Oktoberfest started. <laughs> <laughs> Quite the initiation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And straight into it. Yeah, so I had um, I yeah, definitely, I had a, a a semester then in Munich, and I had a, a bit of a timing difference. So I had an internship in between at a place in Switzerland, and that ended up turning into a job. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm gonna I'm just gonna work here for a year or two, travel around a little bit more in Europe, but then get back to the real life, get back to the U.S. and whatever I was destined to be. So at what stage in your career did you leave the mechanical engineer side behind and actually start to see how did the opportunity in agriculture yeah. present itself? Well, I guess in every career you kind of have these pivotal moments where you have to make a decision and then you're going down a different pathway. And in my career I've always tried to navigate to keep a lot of pathways open. So early on, I actually thought I wanted to do a PhD in um, convective heat transfer. I was working in the research center and realized I'd be working on this one little area of the first stage stator vein after the after the combustion engine, which is fascinating. And I'm so thankful there's a lot of people that dedicate their life to that so that we can fly around the world safely. But there was a situation where we had quite a mechanical failure with one of these engines, and they threw all the researchers in the R&D center back into development to problem solve. And that's where I really saw my skill set was much better placed and getting people to work together, getting all of these amazing technical experts to speak one language and to integrate that towards a solution. So ditched the idea to go for a PhD and did an MBA instead. It was right at the end of the MBA where I had this awesome opportunity to join Archer Daniels Midland, one of the big uh, global agribusiness firms. But that was again one of those has that's less taken. I was very, very close to signing a uh, agreement to join Boston Consulting Group and back in, that was pre-GFC, um, so I'm dating myself, but pre-GFC, <laughs> you know, everybody wanted a job in investment banking or strategy consulting, and I thought I did too. You know, it really is about impact and, and being able to jump into a role, whatever the job description says, it doesn't really matter. You take the space and and you make it your own and that's kind of what I've always looked for. And do you think has that changed at all over your career as you've transitioned through different businesses? Oh, I think I think as I've transitioned it probably continued to gain the confidence um, in my ability to learn, uh, in my ability to deliver and work with people. So it's probably kind of amplified even more to be able to say, go into an organization, see how it's working, see how my strengths fit, see how the team works together, and then 
and then work it out. And every job kind of evolves, every business evolves. I'll, I'll be fascinated to understand from you in terms of your style of leadership and how how do you, when you join, say, a new business, particularly like in those earlier stages of your career, post-MBA, how are you integrating yourself as what you're saying, like a, a minority you're in those workplaces? Mm. Well, I might compare the, the very early days to later. So you know, my, in my first role as a, as a young engineer, I, um, I literally put my head down at the desk and work hard. I thought, you just need to deliver. Don't stand out as a woman. Don't, don't even let people really realize you're a woman. I didn't wear a dress. I didn't wear a skirt until I think I was nearly in my 30s because I just wanted to fit in like everybody else. That changed. Then as I, as I evolved, I guess, looking for roles with leaders that I felt would allow me to, to be my best self and, and really to, to show up to work being myself. And so when you're in that situation, when you're in a, a team where they're looking for you to bring, bring, I guess, your own thinking, your own style, your own passion, then you come into a team, it's much easier to, to sit back to listen, to relax, to be vulnerable and, and really start engaging in conversations that will bring the business much, much further than they could. And so in terms of that vulnerability and authenticity, how important was it for you to be working under or within a team that the leader actually enabled and empowered you to do that? Well, I think you can only answer that question after you've actually been there. And sometimes you don't really know if you're there yet because... <laughs> It's, yeah. it's hard to know what good looks like, but I think I have. And uh, it's amazing. I mean, for me, a lot of people talk about time, you know, being the constraint and you know, how do you manage your time, young child, everything else. But it really is about energy. And if you're coming into work, if you're bringing your best self, if you're being yourself, first of all, your energy is amplified. Um, and if you're if you're really able to to work with the team and support them, and that means being vulnerable, it means leading conversations, really that are open and trusting. If you have that trust, then you build the energy in your team, and you're focused really on the right things and not on all of the emotions, the personal distress, and other things that I think really result if people are trying to be who they think they need to be and and not just themselves. How do you bring, so there's a, the diverse views, like for you when you're the leader in those conversations, how do you then actually allow everyone to come in to it and be, be included and actually, I'll say, belong? So it's, yeah, not just actually about being there, it's actually being like, wow, I've got, I'm part of this group, I've got my say. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's putting some challenges out to the team and it's easy to it's easy to say bring your bring your view, but it usually means doing a little bit of homework and doing a little hard work and preparation in advance. So, I think being clear on on what you want, so people come to the table really prepared. And I mean, we've in the past have gone through exercises where, um, if you want to write a purpose statement, for example, I could very easily write it. <laughs> and I might write just a starting point, but then say to the team, you know, you guys work this through because it has to be the words that mean more to you and to your teams and you're closer to the ground. So kind of going through that exercise, going away, bringing it back together, going away, bringing it back together. And in the end, kind of literally putting your hands back in and saying, hey, that's ours, and then we'll, we'll see from there. And if, it's, um, if it needs to be adjusted, it will be adjusted, but, but having that ownership as a team. For, for you, as a, maybe we'll start to, I'll just, I'm just showing all these different scenarios and questions <laughs> at you, but as, as a CEO, as you get more distance from necessarily like what's happening on the ground, how, how have you managed that to stay in touch with, what's happening through the business and through kind of the customers yeah. and more broadly? Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a great question and one that I've thought a lot about. Um, when I joined in my last role as the managing director of FMC, first within Australia and New Zealand, part of the appeal for me was there was just about 100 people and it meant 
I got to know really everyone in the business, really everyone, what their name was, what their background, and um, pretty fascinating. Then taking on another region, of course, there's suddenly 700 people, <laughs> not possible. So I think the key is really building that team of people leaders and ensuring that they're really equipped to care about their team and to and to lead in the way that you would like them to lead. Of course, everybody has their different style, but I think it does come down to um, kind of that care factor that people are um, understood and listened to. And then lots of learning for me in times of crisis. That's when you do need to pick pick and choose and just reach out to people and have a conversation with them one on one. It goes. It goes so far both ways to really understand what they're thinking. How can you be a leader without um, without having that perspective? And then, you know, for them to, to really know that you're thinking about them. Not too long into your role with FMC, we had this little thing called COVID pop-up and you were <laughs> you had the Asia-Pacific region in your hand. Do you remember where you were when the COVID announcement came that the borders were actually <laughs> shutting? And... No, I'd remember exactly. <laughs> um, we were we were in the office in, in North Ride, and um, there was actually a COVID case in the business park where we were, and got together with a few people in the office and said, oh, we better send people home. And I'll never forget because I broke down in tears because I knew it would never be the same. I, I just knew it. I didn't... Certainly didn't know that, you know, we'd still be having COVID now, all these years later. I didn't know what was coming in the next two years, but I knew once we were at home, things were never going to be the same. And I, I do think that's true, and there's a lot of wonderful things in that. But for me, the type of leader I am, the connectedness I love, I actually loved being in the office. I loved, you know, stopping by the customer service desk and saying, hey, how are things going? I love being able to to see the team and literally give them a hug. Now you can do that two days or three days a week. And you don't <laughs> need five, but but I knew it wasn't going to be the same, and it was very emotional. So yeah, and then and then I remember feeling this awesome sense of responsibility as the leader to make sure everybody could work, that our customers were going to be well served, and that they they felt cared about. Yeah, it was it was almost like a like a noble cause and so we worked through that really well that was that next stage and then later on it got to that stage of oh my god we're all just so exhausted and you know really reaching out to a lot of other people for help and you know kind of forming networks around each other Mm. Hi, I'm Pia, horticulture and sugar analyst at Rabobank and I'm here to share our latest insights on Australia's vegetable market. Did you know in 2023, Australia produced over $5.8 billion worth of vegetables, though only 4.3% of this was exported. Like many other countries, the Australian vegetable industry relies mostly on its domestic market. In fact, only 7% of global vegetables produced are traded between countries. But we are starting to see that trend change. Global trade is growing at a faster rate than production, and countries with low cost production are seeing the highest growth rates. You can learn more about trends in the vegetable market on our latest Rabo Research Australia podcast, Mapping World Vegetable Trade, or reach out to me via the Rabobank Australia social media channels to learn more. Like, how did you pace yourself? You, you, as you said, you broke down, but how did you pace yourself with so much uncertainty, unknown, but also that responsibility that you need to show up and actually Mm. help provide that assurance and comfort to people? Well, I think the the most important thing in that situation and as a leader in general is looking out for yourself first. You know, you, you can't be looking after the team if you're not right yourself. So I made sure I have a fantastic nanny at home and, you know, support at home from the family, but made sure that my daughter and my home life was sorted. And I was lucky because my daughter kept going to school really the whole time, and she was kind of a small group there, but the school that she goes to said no child will be turned away. 
And um, that worked well for her because she's very social. It worked well for me. Um, I you know, started a pretty more, more serious exercise routine to make sure that I was feeling fit. So that's number one. And I, you know, it comes back to the energy again. You need a lot of energy in that situation and being on the screen all the time and dealing with the uncertainty. So that's number one. And then trying to support everybody else in doing that. So, you know, doing some fun things. I remember sending out hampers and personally written cards, just really, really having that sense of care. I think um, in leadership, the word love is probably not used enough, but really um, showing that love in terms of kindness, in terms of support and real curiosity for how is this situation for you? Because you can't, you couldn't make assumptions in COVID for what other people were going through. Oh, I've got a question on that in terms of authenticity. And I'd say authenticity is a huge part. And as you said, vulnerability in terms of this is just the case of how it is. But this phrase we hear all the time, a fake it till you make it. When it comes to crisis and challenge, what's the balance between showing up and putting on a brave face that, fake it till you make it that it's going to be okay versus going I actually just don't know and but trust me (laughs) (laughs) yeah I don't really relate to fake it till you make it personally you know that day that we we sent people home and I broke down in tears was that my intention no but it was me and it happened and I, I that's how it was and then you know later Later on, a couple of weeks later, you know, feeling really strong and supporting the team. But I, I think you've got to lead from the heart. And if you lead from the heart, your team will see that. And um, that's what that's really what works. Now, yes, there are times as a leader that you do have to put on a brave face. You might not be able to share the, the whole story, but I, I do believe you can be authentic and be yourself and all of that. You just have to be discreet with integrity and serve your role as a leader and sometimes takes a while for the team to to understand where that direction is going but over time it always works out if you're true to yourself and true to your values and it is that something which you've modeled off other people or have you had mentors that have really been able to help instill that self-belief in you mm. Yeah, that's um, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think it comes kind of comes back to the dairy farm in Wisconsin, first of all, that I guess I always had that confidence from my parents that anything was possible and, uh, yeah, be brave, try different things. I never really felt bounded ever. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's number one. And then later on in life, actually, a, a really important point for me in my career was when I, when I had actually my parental leave, I took on an executive coach and really worked on my personal vision and values. Yeah, she was a coach. She was a mentor. But um, doing that work and being really clear on what my personal values are, looked at the company, the, the company I was working for at the time, at their values too. It really helped me in making sure I was balanced in future decisions. And ultimately, if you're clear on what your values are, if you're clear on what you want to do in the world. And for me, my career is a huge part of that. That's how I am. But if you're clear on that, I think you can always really be confident. It sounds simple, but it, and it's not, but kind of it is. <laughs> how far into your career? Because I think it, it's interesting around the whole values piece. Is it something that, yeah, you just discover? Or was it something that you actually really needed to seek out expertise to be able to nearly talk through that self-discovery phase? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think, I think taking on a coach to be able to, um, we would do exercises sometimes where you literally kind of stepped out of your body and you walk around the room and look back at situations. And if you talk about a way to build empathy, I mean, that's, it's a beautiful way because you're, you're looking back and thinking, oh, what's Ollie thinking in this conversation? Great technique. You would do an exercise of thinking through your values and your vision on your own, and you'd kind of write it down. If you have a coach there that's really challenging you and saying, really, Christina, but this is what you told me before. Really, Christina, but this is what you've done in your past. It's a totally different exercise. I think some real good in-your-face challenge sometimes is a great thing. Was it confronting? Yes. Yeah. I remember kind of wanting to strangle her <laughs> probably a few times. But does that reflect your values? Or? Yeah. No, 
know. It's just, yeah, it is hard work to really, really self-reflect and try and articulate, you know, where you want to go. But it's something as well you keep coming back to because life changes. There's different life events. COVID maybe changed the way a lot of people look at things. But you always can come back to it and, and re-challenge yourself. So what's important to you like now in terms of that value set? What makes you you and what matters? Yeah, I think for me, a, a big part of my vision is is developing inclusive leaders that have the power to change the world. Sounds really big. Is that related to agriculture? Maybe not necessarily, but yes, absolutely, because delivering on what agriculture needs to to feed the world has to be the biggest challenge and where we need inclusive leaders in the world. So that brings me back to to agriculture and and then you know my values of collaboration learning celebrating achievements focusing on having moments of fun and playfulness that's me and if that doesn't fit into a certain organization then it's probably not probably really not going to work yeah mm. it's fascinating i think like on the the vision page it's amazing the transition I've been through through humans of agriculture and exploring because I'd say a huge part of what humans of agriculture is, is actually reflective of who I am and what matters to me in terms mm-hmm. of people and connection and being able to find the humorous side but also be able to dive into that the the curious side the deeper parts of why people are thinking that way or the yeah, yeah. what actually matters to them and just like understanding for that but I think on the vision piece, it's amazing where in the earlier days and even now when it comes to what I see as the vision of what we can work towards in Humans of Ag, mm-hmm. um, I find that I question what others believe of it where they'll be like, oh, but like you're just one person. Or So in terms of what I see, and I'd say it's also for agriculture, but mm. I see Humans of Agriculture as a collective, we can shape the world to be happier, healthier and more prosperous. And I see agriculture as the vehicle for that, but it has to be enabled through people. And Mm. when I've bounced it off people, whether they're similar age to me or even more executive type people, they go, why don't you just like hop back in your box a little bit and go, people have tried that before and done that. But it's amazing because I've Mm. got this belief that it's like nothing like is impossible and it's like, it's just, it, it'll work. Like it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what you need to keep believing, right? Oh, but the common denominator in any problem, in any opportunity, it is people. It's humans. It's how we think. It's how we work together. And ultimately, to me, leadership. And not leadership in the sense of the CEO or the managing director. It's the leadership and what you bring in yourself every day to what you do and, and how you connect the dots to work together. Yeah. That, um, in your vision, inclusive leaders to change the world, that's incredible. Do you, do you feel like it's achievable? Oh. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I do. Um, and I, I think... Again, I think agriculture is the place where we we need to lead to to make it happen. I think there's a lot of conversation about diversity all the time. We just need to scrap the word diversity and focus on inclusion. And then, you know, it really happens. I don't believe that you can be truly innovative, whether that's things like ag tech or whether it's innovative ways of forming policy of um, working together in in food ecosystems you you can't be innovative if you're not inclusive so yes i think it has to be possible and you know if you look at the younger the younger generation i think that's happening and it's almost a table stakes and an and expectation so i'm extremely optimistic yeah I think we're just going to go down rabbit warrens of thought bubbles here, which is going to be so much fun. But in terms of the inclusive piece, do pe- to be inclusive, can people still be left behind in order to achieve the vision? I mean, yes, I guess that's, I mean, that's the thing about words like inclusion and, and leading with love that it doesn't. It doesn't mean that it's all soft and squishy and everybody's holding hands and everybody has an equal say. It, it means that you have a deep respect for conversations, for decisions. And in that deep respect, you, you 
as a team probably should value where the thought leadership is coming out, where the right solution is being formed. Not everybody's going to kind of be a winner in every conversation or in every debate, but the the inclusion, the respect, the curiosity for the perspective should help people to just simply move on from yeah. um, what otherwise might drain energy in a conversation. Yeah, cause I find it a fascinating piece in terms of, uh, and, and we can talk to the role of agriculture, but in terms of to, to see agriculture be the vehicle which can create sustainable outcomes for people, it either it's going to take people who are willing and progressive to change or are willing mm. to be changed to be part of that or actually aren't. And I think yeah. that's where, it, like, it's such an interesting part of, uh, at some stage, I think the, the challenge of leadership is, okay, at what cost are we willing to bring everyone along or at what cost are we willing to leave people behind? Oh, I think any... You know, any leader, especially the more senior, the larger scope you have, you you do always have to make those hard decisions. And some people, they may feel left behind, but it's a choice whether they decide to come on board or whether that's not the right thing for them and they go in a different direction. And I think as a senior leader, you just learn more and more that that's, that's part of your role and responsibility. And with care... You help those people that maybe don't feel like they're on board find their right way, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. In terms of where, where do you see the role of agriculture heading in this modern society that we're living in? Oh, I, I think I'm going to throw the question back at, back <laughs> at you again afterwards. But, I mean, my... I've, my dream, and I'm probably very similar to you, I mean, we're eating food every day, just having been in Europe and, you know, the joy that the Portuguese um, have for the amazing food there. Same as here, but same, same, but different in all the forms. But we are all a part of agriculture. So I think if um, there was a, a better understanding of that, that value chain, and that goes alongside freedom to operate and understanding of ag, but maybe more importantly, it goes back to making sure we get the talent and the, the workforce that we need in, in agriculture. It's a, it's a whole value chain from, from the food to the energy that's needed and all the way through to investment in, in the farmland. So there's so much opportunity there. I hope that it could be just a, a deeper understanding of um, what ultimately you know a farmer does on the farm, but everything around it, the whole ecosystem, because the farmer is important, but it's everything around it that's that's key. Absolutely, yeah. I think if you're throwing it back to me, yeah, <laughs> yes. Well, I, I think it's a really interesting time for agriculture in terms of, particularly here in Australia. If you look at global events, and I'll only talk at a very high level because I'm not across them, but the likes of the Sri, Lan- Sri Lanka and the move to organics, mm-hmm. the Netherlands and the choice around um, emission reduction and livestock numbers, and even more lately this, the chat around 30% reduction in emissions in this decade, and led by the US, but Australia potentially part of that. I think when it comes to these big conversations, agriculture now has the opportunity to step in, and it's an industry which has been built off humility, mm. but actually to that point around lead or be be part of change or be changed I think it's a crucible moment where we can actually lead and go wow this is how the industry is today Mm. here's why it exists like this today and here's how we can do it better in the future but we need to be able to communicate that to people and I think I think the role of ag as you say is people are eating every day and how we do that sustainably comes down to everything which has probably opened my eyes a little bit more is everything from farming practices but also starting with the end consumer is around affordability and how can you ensure that people have equitable access to the fundamentals of life Mm. to be nutritiously healthy because I think from healthy people then you build everything else come from that Mm, very true (laughs) yeah it's a a good little industry we're in oh it is (laughs) it sure is Where, oh, I'm going to just keep going down the path of w- one more just around ag. And it's a, it's a question which a previous guest has actually asked me to mm. ask someone. But what's a perception in agriculture that you'd like to see changed within the broader community? I would love to see it as 
as simply the, the place to be cutting edge in terms of use of technology, um, bringing, bringing in new innovation, cutting edge in terms of really effectively using policy to do good for the climate, and cutting edge in terms of developing people leaders. Imagine that. You, the very best people leaders in the world are coming out of the ag industry, and then they go back into other industries. That would be fantastic. Pretty incredible. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to be part of it? Yeah, who doesn't want to be part of it? <laughs> I want to flick it back onto you now around probably what lots of people, everyone nearly listening has probably been at this point in terms of, so in the last few months um, you've left FMC as the managing director there and you've just been announced with a new exciting role. I want to understand a little bit behind the scenes, is it any different for a CEO leading a company compared to the everyday person in terms of, deciding that maybe where I am today, actually, I want a new challenge or I want something else. What was the thought process that went on behind the scenes for you to decide I might start looking for something else? Yeah, well, first of all, I think I have always, I'm not sure if other people do this, I've, I've always been very transparent with anybody that I'm mentoring or coaching or any anyone in my team. I always kind of keep a little bit of a toe in the water of the job market, and I think it's just smart. You know what's going on out there. You know what the opportunities are. You know what the compensation is, and you know kind of what's changing in the in the job market. So that would be my advice to anyone. I just I just think it's a it's a smart thing to do, and it's interesting to know where people are moving and and what's happening. I guess earlier on in my career, I thought a lot about building, you know, a certain depth of skill set before building the breadth and I was always fortunate in almost every organization I was in to have a lot of opportunity to move internally you know I think if you look on average almost every 12 to 18 months I was taking on more responsibility or doing something a little bit different and (laughs) I think part of that was the conversation before about never seeing a boundary condition around a job description I mean geez (laughs) you just go out and you do a job well and you work with people and things start to evolve. Again, I think it it comes back to what do I want to achieve in life? And I guess part of it is becoming more of a CEO, but probably also getting a little bit older and, you know, seeing that threshold of the next, you know, the next decade of my life that's going to go by and and kind of where do I want to be and what impact do I want to have? And, you know, I have been contacted quite frequently by recruiters and it happened with the last two roles. It was just that day you got that call and thought, wow, I, I think I could really have impact in this role. There's a lot of things that I don't know. I haven't had the experience, but I think I can really have impact and influence. And it, it just lights a fire in you. And, um, and I think that's when you know. Now, of course, when you have a team and you're part of the culture and the, the, the knitting of an organization, of course, you think a lot about your team. Are they going to be supported? But, you know, in great organizations, that, that certainly is the case. And I guess the other beauty of, of life, I have friends from uh, the jobs that I've worked in all around the world. I just caught up with a whole bunch of them back in Europe. You know that you're going to keep those networks, the friendships, and possibly even work together in the future. So and Always, guys, the circle never yeah, ending. <laughs> that's right. A lot, of, uh, a lot of people that I've kind of mentored in previous organizations I feel like they've come full circle and they're mentoring me again we learn so much from each other it doesn't really matter where you are and so for you to make this next move what was it that you're looking for I I guess I kind of look at my career I probably didn't in the beginning as a mechanical engineer working in power generation but I really look at my career along the ag value chain and I have always thought about um, ag along the whole value chain. Again, not taking the boundaries, not looking at the sliver. If I was just in ag chem or global commodity trading or refined vegetable oils, but along that ag value chain, I guess where where can you have impact? Where uh, leadership? Where my strengths, which has been on driving growth, on really getting teams to collaborate well together. Where will that be the right fit? And um, I think 
natural capital, which I'm moving into, and absolutely, the, especially the regions of Asia, Pacific, and Africa, Southeast Asia, Africa, very challenging parts of the world um, to do business and for agriculture productivity. Wow. I mean, it just can't get better than that. And with the extreme need uh, to increase food productivity and fiber productivity while maintaining um, good timberland practices as well and support ESG practices, I just... for me, it can't get any better than that. So I guess it's pretty obvious um, that um, that yeah, that's really where I had hoped to be. Yeah. A question around perspective. The new role you pick up Africa as well, but you have operated a little bit around the Asia Pacific. So we get, we talk and in Australia in terms of this is how uh, world leading practices etc. Here, but for you, like very uniquely, you'd go from Australia to look at say subsistence farmers in. In Asia, what is what is it like sitting there and and balancing the the difference between affluence and sometimes even extreme affluence mm-hmm. and essentially poverty subsistence? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess as first as an example of that, having had a few um, trips into Indonesia and in various roles, you know, you go and you might start start out the morning in Hotel Mulia and in Jakarta, and you know you're you're meeting with you know very wealthy people, and you take a couple drive a couple hours drive out, and you're on a farm where the farmers don't even have shoes, and and still everybody's smiling, <laughs> everybody's engaged, and you kind of come back in, you're meeting with your customers, and again it's a it's a it's the whole range of wealth all in one day. And you have actually people in the team that are quite junior that are also um, navigating through that. But that's that's life, I guess, in in those countries. It really, I think it comes back to the humans, to good communication, education, care and support. And, you know, I think I think in those organ in those organizations that are involved in in um, those places, it's really about connecting the dots and working together better. You can't go in as as just one organization think you're going to change the world with how um, smallholder farmers operate. But if you come in much more as a ecosystem and and think through what really matters, how they're going to benefit, how you're going to have a strategy to increase productivity. Yeah, I think that's the way. I've got a couple more questions. One around leading into January next year when you start your role with Nuveen. How do you get ready for the next role and walking in on the first day of a new job? <laughs> well, I think it's yeah, it's already it's already starting. So I will say number 1 is being recharged and and once again feeling feeling good myself. So that's well in hand at the moment, so that's good. I you know, I'm already meeting people in the Nuveen team, some great great colleagues here in Australia. I've met a few in London in the UK. I'll be meeting some in the US in December, so um fantastic to have some human connection to hit the ground running. Obviously, I can't help myself, but do a lot of research on on different areas, and I do plan to to meet other people in similar roles before I start, and and just listen, do a lot of listening, and then I, you know, I think with every new role, I've come in kind of with a thirty, sixty, ninety day plan, being really clear with what the goals of the organization are, where I need to focus. There'll be There'll be things from my recent past here in Australia that I'll be excited to kind of bring on bring on board as well and um, hit the ground running. But I think in every new job, you look for building connections first and foremost, especially in this organization, which leverages huge amounts of expertise around the world. And then you look for you look for a win um, and where you can add value. So that's um, that's what it yeah, looks like. Really looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah. A couple other ones, and well, maybe I can ask this. Do you have any questions you want to ask me? I hope you say no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. Um, yeah, I guess. How how do you see your role in in helping to connect those dots, as I'm saying, and especially with smallholder farmers? You know, it doesn't matter if you're in Australia or operating somewhere else. That the humans are the same, maybe different skin color, different accent. I guess, how do you see what you're doing support us in building those bigger ecosystems? And what's your vision around that? 
gosh. That's yeah, small I'm not going to let you off the hook. I think since like day one, I've always had this fascination with global agriculture and just how things, how it all works, how it comes together. Uh, and, and I guess that like pays into my curiosity. In terms of how I see it all coming together, I think, yeah, we're, what we've tried to do since day one is really break down this stigma of who is involved in agriculture and bringing it back to, it's gone through a few different, say, iterations, I sound like a tech person, <laughs> a few different like pieces, but it's always been about people who are making positive contributions to our food system. So in terms of how I see it coming together, I think... Yeah, really as a as a connector and as a listener and as a curious person or platform or whatever mm-hmm. it is. I mean, they're probably the, a few of the key values and skills which people will need to, who join us over this yeah. journey, will need to come in. Because I think for us, it's a huge part of what we do is, uh, I'll say we're storytellers, but actually the person sitting alongside us is the storyteller and it's our job to help get that story out and grow that understanding and do it from our own point of interest but also to things that are interesting for our audience so yeah I like to think of it that we are here to walk alongside people help them share what it is what matters to them why they do what they do and then whether that's in any aspect whether it's yeah on farm in government in innovation mm. areas and then be able to share that with with an audience and in a way that is most applicable one to the person who's sharing that story but also two in a way that the audience can understand so showing and sharing mm. what happens in agriculture but always coming back to it's a person who's leading that learning yeah. i guess yeah yeah Excellent. yeah so you're going you're going global soon i think <laughs> yeah. gosh i don't know about that <laughs> maybe on a holiday yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'd love to go and look at agriculture kind of more broadly. I think perspective is a huge mm, part yeah. um, in this. Yeah. And that was probably sparked through, yeah, getting the, the appetite through Global Table a few years ago. And mm. that was really around the discussion and bringing people together who are the influencers in terms yeah. of their areas and what it will take. Like, as you say, that ecosystem piece is so important of bringing yeah. people together in a an area. And it's not necessarily being... The solution, but even as a connector to others. Yeah. So. And on the um, on that scale of where we are and in inclusive leadership, what what's your perspective? Because I see, um, I think a, a big chunk of your listening audience is probably a little bit younger than the average podcast as well. So what you know, what what are your thoughts? In terms of how we are how how for it? agriculture is doing on the inclusive leadership scale, and yeah, I guess with your slightly younger listening group too, does that influence what you think? I think, yeah. I I think what's really interesting about our community and if I use the job applicants Mm -hmm. as uh, how how we're tracking, in terms of we had one male applicant, we had nearly 40 applicants for that last, for the role we've just advertised, which is awesome. Uh, But in terms of, I think this approach, like the majority of our audience is actually female, 65% or so. Um, they are younger. 70% of our audience is under the age of 35. Mm. So I think we're probably at this point of not just what is agriculture in the future. It's actually this is agriculture today and this is the next yeah. generation that's coming through. But then I also think in terms of inclusiveness, we've got people who have no ag background who are tuning in because they have a gen- general yeah. interest in agricultural, what we're talking about. And then on the other side too, in terms of ages, we do cross that gamut, which is which is really interesting. And I think that people who are willing to provide feedback or reach out with a comment are coming from kind of all different backgrounds and areas, yeah. which is cool. It's a yeah. fun spot to be in. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a couple of questions back for you. The first being, I ask everyone, you get the chance to go and talk to year 10 students about careers in agriculture, mm. why they should consider it today. What would be your advice to them? I would, I would say, what, what do you, what do you want to contribute to the world? What do you want your legacy to be? And that's a very personal question. If you want to see the world a better place than where where you left it, there can't be a better industry to work in. 
Do you want to be a mechanical engineer? Do you want to go into finance? Do you want to be a teacher? Do you want to be an agronomist? Do you want to be a scientist? Well, there's a place for you. There, we need all these skill sets in in agriculture today. And for me personally, obviously, the perspective of having a really global career was exciting. And agriculture is also pretty much as global as it gets. It's global and local, obviously, but there's endless opportunities to see the world, um, see the world beyond backpacking, go and do an internship, go and, and work in all kinds of countries around the world. Fascinating. Well, I'm excited to see where your next role takes you. Yes. Another question, only because I... You'll have a post coming out at some stage which talks about a bunch of different things. But one of your things is feedback. And I've actually never, ever done this before on the podcast. In terms of when you came in and agreed to have a chat, what your perceptions were and what's your feedback now having done this podcast? Where are you at? Oh, well. Nothing like in the moment. Oh, yes, right. It's a gift. Yeah, one of my... uh... (laughs) One of my um, reflections on what I think works well, but it's not easy to do, is giving giving feedback in the moment. So, yeah, I think coming in, it's it's exciting to be able to share your story, or at least you know, for me, it is because I'm I'm excited about what I've done in my career and really want to inspire other people to see no boundaries and and to go for it. So I think it's a great platform to do it. I think maybe I needed some warm up, uh, maybe. <laughs> Maybe to do some jumping jacks. Oh, really? So okay. maybe do some jumping jacks. I'll bring that first. in next yeah, time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, I, th- <laughs> I think what's very positive is, you know, you've got a, a great open, warm and friendly style. So it's easy to uh, to open up and, and speak from the heart. And I think that's what you're looking for here. Yeah. And I think we, t- we talked in advance about kind of, what we wanted to touch on, maybe what we didn't want to touch on, and, and that's worked well as well. So maybe for me, the key is what does your audience really want to hear from somebody like me? So I hope I've, I've hit the mark on what they might want to hear. I don't want to miss anything out because they're what matters most. Absolutely. Maybe we can trial something there in terms of a bit of feedback. And if, mm. who know, if people do want to... Have it. Maybe we could have a little Q and A and take you some questions or whatever it might be. That would be fun. Yeah, I'd be up for that. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you, Christina. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for that. Well, I hope you all enjoyed the chat as much as I did. I think Christina's story is really cool and it's awesome. This was kind of after this chat, I had a bit of a pinch me moment in terms of how have I got so lucky that I can sit down with these various different people ask them my burning questions that I've got or things that I'm curious about, about them, their jobs, the industry, where things are heading. So, yeah, please reach out. If you've got any feedback or any areas that you'd like us to cover or guests, please get in touch. Um, If you do have any questions for Christina, send them our way and maybe we can do some sort of secondary follow-up. Look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane, and most importantly... Stay dry out there. I hope everyone's keeping safe with all this wild weather. See ya.